Turn around, back to your seats, and get that sheet out. No speaker recording. You'll have to put it on your bench. Wherever you want. Uh, no, not yet. Okay, uh, let's give the let's give this group over here first chance. Uh, what? T tell me something about what it was about. Any part you guessed. The cross? Okay, good. Next group. What did you find? Okay. Okay, good. Uh, what about you? Okay, Abigail, uh, you be quiet here and let someone in the back talk since they're pointing fingers. Maybe it was a line, like timeline from the cross to the church. Okay, and what are some parts of that timeline? Well, we have plenty of the flood was in there somewhere, and the Tower of Babel, and the wall. And okay, but what's after the Tower of Babel? Um, the girl beside you, don't know all your names quite yet. Right here? Yeah. Flood. Flood, what after? The, oh, no. <laughs> after the flood, there's the Tower of Babel, and what's all that mess there? Um, Anybody? The, the nations, yes, the scattering. The tower explodes all over the world. <laughs> And suddenly, every confusion. Yes, it looks pretty confused. I know I'm a good artist, but okay. Um, young, this group over here. What else did you see? Did anyone else see a timeline? Okay. What are some other parts of this timeline? Was one of them the um, judges, kings, in like the Israel after the Tower of Babel? Okay, Israel after. So uh, specifically, who would it begin with? Do you think? Abraham. Abraham. So the first one begins, first we have paradise, Adam and Eve. Then we have Noah. God starts all over again. Then we have Abraham, and God says to him, well, first let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. There's 11 actually, I think. We'll find out when we get there. 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And then the end of verse 3, And in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Turn over to Exodus chapter 6. Now, brother, I think you can put that overhead on, okay? But don't start copying it yet. What we'll do later is for filling in this, uh, at some point later on, make sure this is all filled in, okay? But don't do it a lot while I'm speaking. I think you'll know the gist of it anyhow, and we'll make sure that this is available so that you can fill it in. You can fill it in a little, but... Uh, <laughs> Okay, let's turn to Exodus chapter 6. And in verse 6, God has met with Moses, remember? And Moses is saying, how will these people know that, that you're delivering them and that you, you're on their behalf in all of this? 
And God says, say unto the people, verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will get rid of their bondage. I will stretch out an arm and redeem you with great judgments. And I will take, I will take you to me for, does anyone know, a what? A people. And I shall be unto you a Now, those passages there, that is probably the key passage of the whole Old Testament. God came and he said, we we started with Adam, we tried it again with, with, with Noah, and here are the nations going on and on. And he starts again with Abraham. And he says, my purpose, the reason I've created this world is that I want to have a people. And I'm going to suggest to you, and we're not going to talk about it a lot, but that that is one of the number one doctrines of the whole Bible. You know, one day, one day we won't need to think about a lot of the things that we do think about. We won't need to talk about uh, whether there's eternal security or not, or, uh, you know, all kinds of interesting things we talk about. W- won't even be issues anymore. But one thing that's going to go on forever and ever and ever is a people that are God's own possession. And that's what this whole world is all about. That's what God is about. So that's what you see in in Exodus 6. You see it in Exodus 19. You see it, we saw it last night in Exodus 33, that, uh, that the Lord, or Moses said, we won't even go out from here unless you go with us. And it over and over in those verses we read last night, it talked about us being a people. Okay, we come, there's 400 years, and then there's, Moses and the 12 tribes, then we come to David. Now I'm not going to read it, but in 2 Samuel verse chapter 7, God promises David that he will make for make him a what? Trick question. House. A house. So it's not a people, but the idea of a house is a kingdom. I'm going to establish your kingdom. And it's going to go forever and ever. If you want to write that down, it's in verses chapter 7, verses 12 to 17. And then again, some incredible verses in verses 25 to 27, where David says, God, you said you were going to make for me a kingdom and a house that would last forever. And God, I'm asking you to do what you said you would do. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what David prayed in verses 25 to 27. Okay, we come on, and later on we get the prophets. We get Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, I believe it's Jeremiah... um, Do I have it written down there? Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 23... Oh, I've got it there. Isaiah 7, 9, 11, Ezekiel 11, and 36. Beautiful prophecies that God is going to pour out His, not pour out His Spirit, but He's going to take out our stony heart and He's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. That He's going to begin a new covenant and He's he's going to do something whereby the King is going to come and the Spirit is going to come. And the Spirit is going to be written upon your hearts. And there's going to be a whole new kind of people. A Spirit-filled people. 
And Joel comes along and says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and on your daughters. And you're going to see wonders. Wow. Amen. And did they stop with Jesus? No. Well, what happened after that? 400 years of silence. It seems like what God wanted to do was dead. He promised that you'd prophesy. And now there was no work of the Spirit that was visible and obvious for 400 years. There was the synagogue. There were lots of Bible schools. The Pharisees rose up during that time. The Sadducees rose up during that time. The synagogues rose up during that time. But there was no dramatic workings of the Spirit of God. And then comes a little baby. 30 years, the cross, the ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit, and what starts here? Church of what? Jesus Christ. And where do we read about that Church of Jesus Christ? Acts. So where are we now on this graph? Yeah, we're looking. We're starting right here. But we're, we're down here somewhere. Where is this all going to? It began with paradise. And where is it going to end? Paradise. All the nations of the world and the Jewish nation and all of that. We, we don't have all about the Jews, the future of that in here. But everything ends except those that are in Christ. God began again to establish a people, a spirit-filled people that have a heart that is his heart. And the book of Acts is the beginning of the story of what God is doing. Now, this week, we're going to entitle this, something like this whole week is God, and you don't need to worry about this now, you'll see it later, but God is at work in a new society. God is at work. God sent his Holy Spirit and God is at work, young people, in a whole new people, in a whole new society. What he's always intended, he is bringing to fruition and we have no promise that he is going to start again. We have the promise this time that he is coming for a pure white people and bride. He's coming. It's not another... Now, we as the church, we know we go through times of discipline, don't we, as we're being purified and sanctified and made ready for our Lord. But he is coming for his church. And so some people call this the church age. Some people call it the age of the spirit. Some people, who I better not get into this, say this doesn't even matter, that this doesn't exist, that we're just in the PS and that God pushed the pause button and he's waiting for the Jews to wake up. And we just happen to be what's happening in the meantime. God's plan B, second thought. Uh, oh dear, what he tried didn't work, some people say. Well, no. I think God's exciting business, the adventure of all he wants. We're, we're right in the middle of it, brothers and sisters. Okay, how many of you here are German Baptists? Okay, how many are Mennonites? Sort of? Okay. All right. Uh, how, how many are... Um, well, well in, in the area I come from, uh, it's all Germans, all Mennonites. 
When I moved in with the name Robertson, they asked, where did you come from? And I said, well, I married a Friesen, which, uh, and they said, oh, so you married into the church, did you? And they told me that, there, that we had English neighbors, so I looked and I found there were some people called Jones, and I asked if they came from Britain, and they said, no, we've always lived in Low Farm. We've always lived right here. Well, I found out a year later that if you weren't German, you were English. Now, I know most of you don't even speak German, but everyone does where, 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 where I live. Okay, um, so how many are not, not any kind of Anabaptist or Brethren background here? Just a few. Okay. Uh, how many of you um, speak German? Oh! <laughs> I think you need to do something about that. <laughs> We're going to be talking about missions at the end of this week. <laughs> how many of you speak Hebrew? Well, that's kind of strange. How many of you speak Aramaic? That's interesting. Um, hmm. <laughs> Do you know that the original disciples spoke Aramaic? Do you know that the, the whole Bible up to this point was in, in Hebrew? And here none of you speak Hebrew or Aramaic. Uh, this, this is a, a, a little different. Um, how then, he, here you are in eastern Washington at the, what is it, the Double K camp or something like that. And uh, how did you get from this Jewish religion to all of you, not one of you is a Jew and you don't even speak Hebrews, Hebrew or Aramaic, and you're all part of a, Jew, a, a Jewish religion? How did that happen? What's going on? Well, that's what the book of Acts is going to tell us. You see, there's a missing link there. You, you can find a lot of Muslims in the world, but most of them are from way over there somewhere. There's a few handfuls of white-skinned uh, Muslim people here in America, right? And there are some. But here, there's not one Jew amongst you. This is amazing. What's happened? So, the book of Acts is a big part of the story of what's happened. It's a story of beginnings. It's a story of the birth of the church. The birth of a new nation. The birth of a new society. And you know, beginnings are not always perfect. There's been a long journey of all that God's been intending. And there's a long adventure ahead for us, brothers and sisters, you see, God's been in this business for a long time, hasn't He? Has He given up? <laughs> Did He have some reasons to give up? Has He had some reasons to give up on you? Your church? Your leadership? Yes. But He is committed to something. He is committed to having a people there's been failure and growth all through this picture, and we can expect failure and growth in our lives as churches and individuals. So we're going to start looking at the beginning of this church. And this week, I hope that God will also speak to you. Because as we read in, in Revelations 2 and 3, somewhere here at the end of the New Testament era, John said to every church, that it was critical that we hear what the Spirit 
is saying to the churches. And God is still at work in the church. He's still at work in the churches. Now, if you find this sheet, you'll need it in just a moment. So what we have here in this book of Acts, we have Acts alive. This is not Acts dead. This is not the um, dull history. This is Acts alive, and I'm hoping it will come alive this week. I'm hoping that we can, and today you've got a lot of handouts, and I'm hoping these can be some tools that you can use when you get home and in other points in your life. And Some of you young men will be preaching one day. You sisters will do homeschooling or teaching in a Christian school or something one day where you may need to, you, you, you have a huge responsibility in raising up disciples. Do you know that? A huge responsibility rests upon sisters. And it's important that you know why we're here. It's important that you know what God is all about. It's important that, that you and, and the rest of the family can answer questions and disciple children and disciple other, others that you're involved with. So we have the Spirit still speaking to the churches, to him or her that has an ear. And so the story hasn't stopped. The story is continuing and in Acts chapter 28, we find that this book ends telling us that Paul was in prison, teaching people every day, having Bible school at Double K Ranch in Easton with a, a bunch of prom uh, promising young people, period, end of the story. We don't find what happened to him. We don't find what happened to them. But it's a continuing Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to ask you a question today. If you have this sheet out, the question at the top there is what if we had no book of Acts? So take out your pen. You're going to be filling in lots of blanks today. What if we had no book of Acts? Tell me uh, what comes between on the one side you have the Jews and you have the synagogue on the other side in that first little picture, you have the Gentiles in the church. What comes in between there? The book of Acts. The book of Acts comes in between and it explains what happens. On the one side, beginning with G, what do you think we have there? What's that word? Okay, I'll tell you. It's the Gospels. And who is the prominent person that you're going to put in that circle? I've got one. Oh, this is the one you mean. Yes. Uh, no. On the side of the Gospels, who is the prominent person? Jesus. Jesus. So we go over to the other side. What is the E? Epistles. Yes. And who is the prominent person? Paul. Now, a lot of people say that Jesus had his understanding of Christianity, and some people say it's even an Old Testament viewpoint and that the true Baptist evangelical understanding of the gospel is represented by Paul. Now, I wish I could preach on that and convince you it isn't right, but what is the glue between the gospels and the epistles that explains all what happens and how they're connected? What is it? The book of Acts. Now, you're going to draw it in there, and it has to be taller than all the other books, okay? Because it's the largest book in the New Testament. Okay, volume one, 
is what book? Picture three. No. No. Luke. Remember that uh, Luke wrote the book to the most excellent who? Theophilus. And who did he write Acts to? The most excellent Theophilus. So Luke wrote first, starting where? Where did Luke's um, gospel start? Exactly. He started back here, didn't he? So in Luke, we've got the story of from here to there. And in Acts, we've got from here to about here, and we can't say to here. It ends suddenly. Bang, it's over. And that's what I'm supposed to preach on this, this, these four days is all of that, you know. Because volume two, I don't just have to preach on Acts, but Luke, Acts is volume two of volume one. So I'm jumping in to preach this week and teach on volume two. So there's going to be points at which we need to talk about and already have volume one. Because the book of Acts without the Old Testament wouldn't make much sense, would it? Would the epistles make much sense if we didn't have the Old Testament? No. Would they make much sense if we didn't have the book of Acts explaining all that happened in between the Gospels and the epistles? Try thinking today, and I'm going to ask you at the beginning of tomorrow, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, what would be missing if we had no book of Acts? What wouldn't we know if we had no book of Acts? It's amazing. We would have that big gap between those two volumes of books, and we would have all kinds of missing information that you and I just take for granted. Okay? Now, go down to the third. So the, the third volume, we've got volume one, volume two, volume three. What could we call volume three? How about Acts Continues? Acts continues. Jesus said, it's better for you that I send my spirit, right? Because I will do greater works. We heard about that yesterday, didn't we? We have a promise in this third volume of greater works. Now, look down to the fourth little picture there. Um, we have in this picture, first of all... Um, we have chapters 1 to 7 of the book of Acts, and you could write in there, the church is born. And that happens from about A.D. 30 to 33, which will be phase 1. Then you'll see a little 8 at the top of the second square, that's chapter 8, and we come into phase 2, which let's call first steps. So first we have the church is born. Now, Brother Joe, you have a new grandson, right? When they called you, um, you, 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 what's one of the first things they said? What his name was. That he was a boy. Oh, it's a boy! So girls, on the day of Pentecost, what do we say? It's a... <laughs> it's a church! So that's what this first, this, this first little section, one to seven, it's about. It, it's a church! 
There's not been one before. There's been synagogues. There's been uh, Pharisees and hypocrites. There's been hard hearts and stony hearts and law, but there hasn't been a church. And we're part of it. Wow. It's a wonder. God promised to pour out wonders upon this church such as he didn't even do when his son was on this earth. So here we have the age of the Father. Here we have the age of the Son. Here we have the age of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, in this fourth thing you'll see that at chapter 8, it begins the next section and that is first steps. When you have a little child, you call grandma and grandpa when they take their brother Joe. When they take their first steps. And Luke is telling Theophilus about the first steps. And then he begins in the next section to talk, and that goes from 45 to 63. Uh, that's AD 45, or at the top from chapter 13 to chapter 28. And there's three squares there. One has Cyprus and so forth. That's the first journey. You could at the bottom, if you want, put trip one. The, the next one, where it says uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, you could put trip two. And the next square, you could put trip three. And that's called the church is growing. The church is expanding. Now, do most little babies grow and expand? I've got a little one in Bolivia right now that's almost six months old and it's only 11 pounds because it's not growing. It became very dehydrated and sick and has been in the hospital. But, and they're not very good hospitals. But we expect something to grow and expand, right? And so in this, I'm sorry, I don't have an overhead for it, but in that phase number three of chapters 13 to 28, that's what we see. We see the church grows and it expands. You'll see there's a jail in there. A large part of the time Paul spends in jail at the end. And so the story is told in this whole section of what the church began to do and teach as a whole missionary movement. Now, don't worry if you don't get all this right away, okay? But in that third phase, we find out what the church began to do and teach. Now, in the book of Acts, we have a lot of the record of all the evangelistic tent meetings they had, okay? If you can forgive me putting it that way. But what don't we hear about? We hear about all their tent meetings and their evangelistic trips. What don't we hear about in Acts? There's a, there's a clue right on your paper. No, I'm looking for something else. We do hear, well, you hear a lot about the death, actually. You're going to find out that the main theme of their preaching was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You won't find the word propitiation. You won't find the word um, sanctification. All those later terms. You find the resurrection. He is risen. He is risen. He is king. He is Lord. He is Messiah. Okay, so what's missing? Doctrine. Doctrine. Where do we get that? In the epistles. So do you see here? There's a little box down there in the second trip. From Corinth, Paul wrote to, first, to the Thessalonians somewhere between six months and a year after, and a half after he visited them. 
Shortly after that, he wrote 2 Thessalonians. On his third missionary trip from Ephesus or from Macedonia, he wrote 1 Corinthians. From Ephesus, he wrote 2 Corinthians and likely Galatians and Ephesians, or Galatians and Romans. While he was in prison, praise God for prisons. He got deep insights and he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Wow! We don't get any hint of any of them in the book of Acts. But they're all happening at the same time. And if you take this little chart with you, it'll help you understand when you read the book of Acts that there's other things that are happening that it doesn't talk about. And when you read Ephesians, you'll know, okay, what, what else was happening at this time? You know, Ephesians didn't get invented at 300 A.D. Uh, you follow? Okay, now there's some other books in the New Testament we're missing. We don't know what happened to Paul. Some people say he went to Spain. Uh, I read something yesterday talking about from, the, from Timothy and Titus. We can learn all kinds of different places he seems to have gone that are never talked about in the book of Acts. So it's believed that Paul on that chart, that the book of Acts ends at 63 AD right there. It's believed that afterwards he may have gone to Spain and other places. Some point in there he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus somewhere around 66 AD. And then it's believed that he was in prison again. And from prison, clearly from prison, he wrote the book of 2 Timothy at the end of his life. 18 years after beginning some of the ministry back here. And he's quite discouraged. Well, he's not discouraged, but you know... When churches have been around about 18 years, what kind of happens? They need a Paul to come along, don't they, young men? And they need a John to come along and say, wake up and hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that's what Paul was doing in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He was very concerned about the backslidden, slippery slope that the people were on at the end of his life. Okay. We've covered a whole bunch already, but let's keep on going here. I've probably taken so much time. Okay, I've oh, I got about 25 minutes left. Okay, Acts gives us the story then behind most of the New Testament. It shows us here's the promise and here's the fulfillment. And... Um, I think that what Luke is wanting to do is to convince Theophilus that, what, that God, I want you to get this because this is the key thrust today. I think that Luke is trying to convince Theophilus that God is at work. Okay, should we say that together? God is at work. Theophilus, God is at work. Through a new society. There is a new age and a new society. Something new and supernatural is happening. Something new and extraordinary has broken into this present world and has taken hold of a people. Something incredible. He's created a people. A whole new nation has been born. And it's invading and shaking the world. Emperors and governments and prisons 
have not been able to stop the work of God. Theophilus, no emperor has been able to stop this work of God. Theophilus, no prison has been able to stop the work of God. Mary, no taking of your husband has been able to stop, or whatever James's wife's name was, has been able to stop the work of God. Peter's wife, no imprisonment has been able to stop the work of God. That's what we're being told in this book. Religious leaders haven't been able to stop it. They've only fanned the flames and brought spiritual awakening. And it all began with how many people over here? Twelve people. Well, we'll see about that. Okay, put that first overhead up, brother. How did it begin? It began here with 12 around before 30 AD. Around 30 AD was the cross. There were 120 people in the upper room when what came down? The Holy Spirit. It tells us very quickly that on that day there were 3,000 people. A few days later there were 5,000 people. It says they were daily added. That means 3,000 plus 2,000 is what? 5,000. Oh, there it is. It tells us that soon, and we'll see little hints, that there was multitudes, but there was great opposition and persecution and eventually martyrdom. But at first it says they were added to day by day. Do you know what it says later on happened? They were multiplied. So uh, what is 5,000 times 100? 500,000. That's multiplication. Okay? So do you, do you see how it multiplies? I mean, it's gone right off the graph, and we're not even at, at year 33 yet. Two and a half. I mean, here Jesus ended with 12 people. And he said to those 12 people, you are the ones I have chosen to change the world. After he died, within three years after he died, there were so many, there was a multitude. Incredible. He said he would do what kind of works? If uh, greater works. Did he? Yes. And so the disciples multiplied by the year around 260, 70. The empire that persecuted and killed Christians took Christianity as its official religion. And it started with 12 timid, timid people. Today, you are a part of a country that called itself a Christian nation. Now, it's not, never has been, never will be, because no nation can be Christian. What do the nations put that other graph back on, Brother Russell? And what, what are all, where are the nations here? Where is the United States of America? Which of those triangles is it in, blue, green, or black? Green. It's in the nations of the world, isn't it? The church is a new nation. A new separated, called out people under the king. Okay. So. Acts then is the working of God by his spirit. Acts has been called the, the Acts of the Apostles. It's been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's all of those things. 
Jesus takes, and if you turn to Acts chapter 1 now, we've probably got 20 minutes to go through the whole book of Acts now. Are you ready? So you take a deep breath? Okay. What you're going to need is you're going to need that sheet, brother, uh, you're going to need those sheets with lots of blanks that's all typed, okay? There should be five sheets that each of you will have. In Acts chapter 1, if we don't get through today, we'll just keep on going, but so relax. I guess it's me that needs to relax. But you've got it already. The book of Acts is the story of God at work. Now, somewhere here, I have a set of... What happened to it? Hmm. Oh, here it is. I hit it. Okay, at the very top of your sheet there, you can write Acts... The record of God at work in a new age and a new society. And as we come into phase one, we see a new society is born. And that we're on the doorstep of a whole new age. It's the age of the, the Spirit. Now, if you look in chapter 1, verse 6... Are you with me? Can you write and listen to? Chapter 1, verse 6 says, The disciples came after Jesus ascended to heaven, or before he ascended, they came to him and they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel soon? And I want you to notice what he says in verse 7. Is everyone listening to me? It is not for you. It is not for who? Let's point the finger. It is not for you. Let's do it again. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. The Father hath put it in, have you got your hand ready? In His own power. Does anyone know what that power, word for power in Greek is? No. no. What's it? Try another one. No. Exousia, which means right or authority. We'll come to Dunabas tomorrow. This one is talking about the governmental right and authority of God. Thanks for trying. Okay. The governmental right and authority and control of all the things relating to those triangles that were blue and green the Jews and the Gentiles, belongs to who? To God. What God does with the United States of America belongs to who? What God does to Ghana belongs to who? What God does to Russia belongs to who? God. They're the things relating to the nations of this earth and they do not concern us. So we see here that they were on the, the, the doorstep of a whole new age. The promised time and spirit is at hand. A whole new mandate is about to begin. They're, the church is being commissioned to take God's power and kingdom and rule to all nations. Keep bringing it down, brother. So you can keep, keep, keep down a bit more there. 
And so we see in verse 8, but it is not for you to be worried about the kingdoms of this world and the times and chronology of what's happening. But verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses in what? Jerusalem. And then where? Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you have a chart there. You don't need to look for it right now, but it has three phases on it. Chapters 1 to 7 are about the gospel coming to Jerusalem. A church is what? Born. It's a church. Chapters 8 to 12 are about the gospel expanding, here it is, yes, into Judea and Samaria. And then chapters, uh, I don't have it written down here, but uh, the next ones from uh, 13 to 28 are about the church advancing and growing into its teenage years. Okay? You can put teenagers there if you want later on. Okay. As you go down that chart a little more, we see that the door of the new age is open. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, well, actually before that we find that, yeah, we're just told that in chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, we see the people getting ready. And you can read about that. They select someone to replace Judas and so forth. Then, in chapter 2, the door of the new age opens and they find out that Jesus is Lord and Christ. We find that the Holy Spirit breaks down upon them. A mighty wind comes and blows in. And then in verses 5 to 13, we see that a new society, get this, of all nations is born. A new society is born. And so if you look over at um, verses the, the 14, you'll find that the Old Testament longings of God are fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come down, remember? Now what happened at the Tower of Babel? People were scattered. They couldn't understand each other. There was confusion. What happened at Pentecost? All nations heard the gospel in what? Their own language. Their own language. All these Germans, sorry there's none here, and French and English were together in a room like this. Hardly anyone spoke, a lot spoke different languages. And even if they did know Greek because it was the universal language, they heard him speaking in Celtic and Arabian and in their own language. Everyone. So what God did at Babel to disperse the nations he brings together again at Pentecost. Isn't that exciting? They didn't even know that. Now, does a baby when it's born know what's happening? Do you think the church knew it was the church? I don't think the church knew it was the church. I don't think the church knew that they were a part of something that you were going to be sitting here in double K or whatever we're called here in Easton 2,000 years later because of what Peter and Paul did and because of... of what Peter proclaimed as he preached on the day of Pentecost. He had no idea you'd be sitting here today talking about his sermon. 
who's at work? God. Theophilus? God is at work in a new age and a new society. And you're that society. Okay. The prophetic spirit-filled life is now available not just for Isaiah or Jeremiah, but it's for all flesh. There's something that's very important here in verses 22 to 36. Uh, It says there, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved. This is Peter preaching in his sermon. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs that we heard about today, which God did. You're in chapter 2, verse 22 which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know, that by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, this Jesus was crucified. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up. Remember, this is that apostle that fled from the cross, is now saying, he's, he's standing on his soapbox now. Oh, move her down. Uh, standing on his soapbox now, saying, the Jesus I denied... 40 days ago, is alive! I want everyone to know! This is that, verse 16 says, but this is that, and remember, if you don't get everything written down, all these sheets will be available for you after, okay? This is that, verse 16, notice that. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit. And so, if you turn to, look to verse 33, as Paul is, is speaking, in verse 30 it says, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, this is to David, that of the, you notice it says, David was a prophet, and God swore to him that from, the, from his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection. David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not be left in hell, neither his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God, what? Raised up, up, whereof we all are, what? Witnesses. Now this is critical, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth, that means poured forth, this which ye now see and hear. So, on your paper there, it says that first of all, he was crucified. He is resurrected. It should be on the screen tier two. It says that he is Lord. That means he is what? The new ruler. He is Christ, the expected, anointed, end-time king. That's this Jesus. This, this, he is Lord and Christ. Theophilus, the emperor isn't in charge. Theophilus, there's something going on in this world that even important officials like you have no control over. And that's what I'm writing this book to prove to you. 
and to you. To us right here today. What did the people do? Well, actually, just as you go down that list a little further, you know what it says? It says his exaltation is proved by the Spirit's outpouring. Now, that's very important that you get that. Because Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead, didn't he? Do you know anyone who said they were going to rise from the dead? I, I worked for a man once who said he was never going to die. Well, he's dead now. Um, but Jesus said, I'm not going to die. Did death hold him? No, we'll talk about that maybe a little more tomorrow. He said he is going to rise from the dead. And when he came to earth again, did he prove it? He held out his hands, Thomas, didn't he? Now what else did he say he was going to do? When he got to heaven, what did he say he was going to do when he got to the right hand of the Father? Send the Holy Spirit. And he told them to wait for that, didn't he? So what happened about 10 days later? He sent the Holy Spirit. Something happened that had not happened for 400 years. Men opened their mouths and prophesied. And everyone knew it was God. Well, they knew something had happened. They thought they were drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, No, this is that which was prophesied. So if you go on down on your outline there, it, we find the people say in verse 37 to 40, what shall we do? And you know what Paul says? He says, Peter says, save yourselves from this. It says in the King James, perverse generation. Save yourself from this. I'm going to write the word over here in Greek. It's the word skolios. Now, can anyone think of another word we get, a medical word we get from the word scolios? Scoliosis. And if I'm correct, that means something that is crooked. I'm not, I'm not sure. But it, I, I believe it affects, and that's literally what it means. So write that in there. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, this crooked society. So it's not just getting saved from sin, it's getting saved from crookedness. Now, sisters, can I talk to you for a second? I know that it's going to take my time to do this, but we'll catch up somehow, okay? Just for a lighter moment. And Okay. The word um, here, it says from this untoward generation. Is that what it says? Yeah, untoward generation. The word untoward meant, or the word toward meant docile or quiet, uh, the way in the 1800s they said the way a, a child should be, okay? We want our children to be quiet, honoring, all those things, right? In the 1800s they say this is the way that untoward is the way a woman should not be. That's what a commentator in the 1800s said, untoward. You see, untoward means Loud, bossy, shrewish, and out of her place. It's a perversion of what is right. So, the gen now, should I ask the brothers or the sisters if they know 
anyone who's bossy, shrewish, loud, and uh, <laughs> out of their place. Do you all know people like that? I hope none of you are. But it's pretty easy, isn't it? What were the Gentiles? They were out of their place. They were out of their place. They were a crooked generation. And God has brought the church to set a straight path. To be a demonstration of his new society. And so what are these people to do? They're to repent. Now that means all of us, if we're to be a part of this new society, we need to repent. We need to say, I have been part of the scoliosis of this present age. I've been a part of it. The second thing we need to do is be baptized there, it says, into the name of Jesus. Now that name of Jesus, keep moving down there. It, the, name, the idea of the name speaks of authority. Jesus' name, when, when Peter and Paul, they come and they say, we're not here in our own name, we are here in the name of Jesus. This miracle we did, we did in what? The name of Jesus. We come with his badge, not ours. There's been a transfer in baptism. You're transferred from one kingdom to another, we read in Colossians. And what does it say you're to receive? Receive, I'm not going to read it, but it says, we'll talk about it in another day, receive the gift of the Spirit, which is the token, the down payment of the age which is to come. Now, If you flip on to chapter 3, what we're going to see in chapter 3 is the life and workings of God. Have you got this? The life and workings, move the sheet down, brother, sorry. The life and workings of God in the new society, chapter 241 to chapter 7. And when we get done this, we'll be almost done, okay? So we see there's the spirit-filled fellowship in verses 41 to 47, and we'll talk about that another time. We see there's the Spirit-empowered ministry in chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. But then we come down to this. In chapter 3, we come to the public proof of God's power in verses 1 to 11. And what is Luke wanting to convince Theophilus of? That God is at work. And so here in chapter 3, we see the proof of this. And it's very interesting, in each of the phases... One of the first things that happens is some kind of demonic activity is recorded by Luke coming against the work of the gospel. And so here we see a demoniac coming up and Peter, uh, actually I think that's right after this, first there's a lame man. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And he raises him. And then in verse 11 it says, and as the lame man walked about in the Solomon's porch, the people greatly wondered. And verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, this is significant, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? Wow. You see, in the Acts 
of the Holy Spirit, who is it that's at work? It's God. If anything happens this week at Bible school, who is it that's at work? It's God. Who is it that we want to meet here? It's God. Why do you marvel? And so he says, let's see here, we're in the, there's a spirit, there's this public commitment. He says, it's through faith in the name of Jesus, and I, I can't take time to look at it, but it's at faith in his name that has made this man whole. And then he goes on in verse 19, he says these significant words, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and then there'll be a, there's going to be a change of the times. Uh, uh, something is going to happen and... See, where are we, are we? There's going to be times of repentance. There's going to be times of refreshing. There's going to be times of restitution. Listen to that. He says, repent ye, your sins will be blotted out. Verse 19, and times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus, who is preached, whom heaven must hold until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now that verse has been tremendously debated. They say that's the most controversial book in the, verse in the book of Acts, and guess what we're going to do? Skip right over it. Okay, but I believe that what it's saying is that way back here in these triangles and these prophets and in the law, God gave us a picture of what he wanted to do. And what he's doing in the church is he is fulfilling what he originally intended. And Jesus is staying in heaven until sisters, some idea of the beauty of what he intended is brought forth in his church. Times of refreshing and times of restoration and restoration of God's design. Now, as you carry on down there, I wrote these things in yellow so I can't read them very well, but somewhere there it says, um, this man, verse 22, him shall, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear, Jesus shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Five minutes to get through the rest of the book of Acts. Okay. Then what does it say? It says in verse 25, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Whose seed? Abraham's seed. He's talking to Jews, isn't he? Now look at verse 26. Stop writing and look. It says, unto you first. Now who is the you? The Jews. Unto you first, God having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone from his sins. Okay, put the rest of that page on, brother. I'll leave my notes here. We'll um, try to do some other things. Okay. What we're going to find, and I'm going to come back to this a little bit, but as we go on here, we find in chapter 4, oh, we find that the, the, the first, the eternal choice comes to the Jews first. 
but the blessing comes through them to all nations. We find in chapter 4 that the, the officials, it says, why do the heathen rage? And I can't tell you the verse right now because it'll take me so long, okay? Why do the heathen rage against Christ? And they do rage and they put, they put um, Peter in prison. But what happens? What does God do when Peter's in those prisons? He opens the doors and he lets him out. And here comes Peter the, the, and he stands before these people and he says that it's, it's in, in Jesus' name that this has happened. He says, the stone you people that put me in prison rejected in Isaiah 20, the, the stone which is be to be the chief stone you Jews rejected. And that he goes on and he says that Jesus is the only door of salvation. And what do the authorities do? They have a discussion, like you did. Okay, what should we do about it? If we do this, this is what they'll do. If, if we kill them, they'll kill us. Not a good choice. Um, if we let them go, who knows what will happen. Hmm. Well, that's a little safer. Um, so they're powerless to do anything. And they and all the people know it. Everybody knows that this miracle is of God. And the church is a prayer meeting in verses 23 to 37. And basically they say, Christ is one. And, and we've got to read this. We've got to read this. Chapter 23 verses, or not chapter 23, I think it's chapter 4 we're in by now. Is that what it says? Chapter 4? Yeah. Um, 29. Uh, we'll look at this. 25. Um, they were all together giving praise, verse 24 says, in one accord. And it says, verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine vain things. Theophilus, why, why do these people bother putting these guys in prison if the doors can't hold them anyhow? What are they so upset about? It's not going to work anyhow. Why do the people imagine vain things? And the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord. Against the Lord. Who is that? Jesus. And against his Christ, the anointed Messiah, for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand, God, and thy counsel determined beforehand. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto his boldness. And he stretched forth their hands and they, they performed signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, verse 30 says, and they were filled with the Spirit. And verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And grace was upon them. We find here, as we move on to chapter 5, that there's a, a Satan-filled conspiracy comes against the fellowship. And who, who, who are the stars of that conspiracy? In chapter 5 of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they come in and they threaten the fellowship. We'll talk about that some other time. An official wrath next explodes. So many miracles are happening that they come together and they say, well, this time we've got no choice. If they kill us, they kill us. But we've got to get this guy, okay? Right, okay. So they conspire and they go out and they get him and they bring him together again. 
and they meet and they're talking about what to do. And a man comes on the scene named Gamaliel. My wife said there, I was just at a conference and there was a man called Gamaliel there. So there's an idea, sisters, for a baby name <laughs> one day. Some of you in the back there. Uh, but there's a critical question that comes in chapter 5. I'm not looking to, at your sign right now, I'm sorry. But, uh, we'll be done in just a second here. Or, no, a few minutes. <laughs> the, the wrath explodes. Gamaliel says, if, where is that now? Verse 38. If this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. That is the great question of the book of Acts. It's that question, is this work of God or of men? So, give me the rest of that sheet, brother, will you? It's there. We're going to see um, later that um, the, the problem with the, the, the widows comes. We'll look at that later. We'll find that, uh, that Stephen is martyred. That people bring, they, they come and they get together again. Well, maybe they gave up on you and they come over here and they say, okay, fellas, what shall we do? This, um, this guy, Stephen, he's really preaching up a storm. This, he's got a, a face like of an, an angel. The people can't resist what he's saying. Uh, let, let's, let's get him. Okay. Uh, um, so basically, they stoned him, didn't they? They stoned him. Lies. They brought lies against him that he was blaspheming God in the temple. That he was. They brought persecution and they finally they stoned him. What happened? None of that can stop the work of God. None of that. So that's where we're going to end. None of that. Who is at work? God is at work. We'll look at the rest of it tomorrow. Ah, do you have, do we still have time for? Shall I open it up here? Okay. How many minutes do you want me to open it up for? Five or six? Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, I need to flip a whole bunch of pages ahead here. We'll come to the conclusion of this another day, but let's think for a moment about the application as it relates to us. Okay. Everyone take a, a deep breath. Relax. I'm going to ask you to get involved now. What can we learn? What is God saying to us as a church or as individuals? How is he working today and how does this all relate to us today? Who can tell me? Uh, so we see a church is born. We didn't get beyond that, okay? A church is born and God is at work. Uh, I need someone who can write better. Who, who will write and can just write thoughts that people bring forward? Okay, thank you, Brother Pete. What can you learn? Say the question again. Okay, just, we've looked at what God is doing in the church. God at work in the church. What do we want God to do in us? What is it saying about if the, the, the church is alive today? What can we learn that can encourage us or spur us on or challenge us 
in these first few seven chapters that we've looked at of the book of Acts. That God is raising up a new body to replace him on earth. Okay, and you're a part of it, aren't you? Okay, what else? There's nothing that I can do to stop his work. I mean, to stop his vision for my life. Okay, there's nothing, well, nothing that you can do. You know, I'm not so sure about that one. I want to say work, vision. Okay. You can stop it. Let's make it, let's make it, instead of just dealing with you, let's make it the church. There's nothing anyone can do to stop his work for the church. Okay, can we, can we make that change there? Now, he's got an exciting plan for you, doesn't he? Okay. Um, anything else? We still have the same spirit available to us today. Amen. Now, was the church perfect right off the bat? What can we learn from that? It, it's a new baby. What can we learn? People are, we People are still human. Okay, we make mistakes. It's a journey, it's growing. It's a journey, it's growing. Just like they said, it's a boy, or it's a church. We hope where you are that they'll say, it's a church. And it's going to be, there's going to be some tough times, isn't there? What else? Prophet Joel is still being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Now, if we skip on to the next section, we find Peter, James is killed. We'll see in just a few chapters, we'll see James is killed, and he's got a wife somewhere. Wow. And Peter's in prison, and what happens? What happens to Peter when he's in prison later on? Angel lets him out. An angel lets him out. So now, I'll talk to the married sisters back there instead. One of you, your husband, is, is, is dead by Herod. And the other God comes and miraculously intervenes. What do you do with that? Bless him. Lord he takes away. He's sovereign. And we trust him. Though he's slain me, we trust him. Yes. He is sovereign. Can Martyrdom stopped the work of God. The, the church of God is bigger, sister, than what happens to your family one day. Many of you will be married and difficult things will come. You think being a young person is a little difficult. <laughs> There's some challenges coming. But guess what? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. In the last section, we'll find that the church is advancing. Advancing into all of the world. What can we learn from that one? He loves us. He loves us. What else? Still it's still expanding. His heart hasn't changed, has it? Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that. Amen. The continuing book of Acts. And as it moves into all those phases, if you just, I'll end with this, if you just put that chart with the three sections up. If you find it. 
And then I'll ask a brother to end in prayer. There we are. Okay, do you know, at every point in that, as a new society breaks in, we find there's persecution. As they take their first baby steps, and we'll see tomorrow, we're scattered everywhere, there's persecution. As they go into all the world, the gospel switches from a gospel of the Jews to a gospel of the Gentiles, from a gospel of the synagogue to a gospel of the church. But persecution continues, and it never stops. But God is at work. And the book of Acts is the story of God at work in a new society. Okay, let's stand together. Who will pray? Okay, uh, Brother Steve. Father, in the name of Jesus again this afternoon. Thank you, Father, for revealing your perfect plan once again uh, through the book of Acts. Thank you, Father, that it starts in Genesis and can take us all the way through the book of Acts even today, Father. Thank you for that. Father, thank you that we don't have to sit on the outside and look in and, and imagine and try to wonder what that would be like. But thank you, Father, for involving us. And, Father, we just invite you to involve us even more. Father, so help us to be broken. Help us to, to allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ, uh, that we might have life in you, that you might, we might fully participate in this exciting uh, new society. Father, so thank you, Father, for this message today. Bless, blessed be your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.